Being a mom is the toughest job there is, and it doesn't come with instructions. So it's okay if you don't have all the answers. We'll figure it out together. This is Mom Brain with Ilaria Baldwin and Daphne Oz. Hey guys, welcome back to Mom Brain. I'm Ilaria. And I'm Daphne. And today we're talking with Dr. Alexandra Satz. She is a reproductive psychiatrist, which I bet will sound kind of different and interesting to a lot of you. She basically deals with all the emotional and heart issues that we go through when we're becoming moms. And, um, you know, you've heard about the fourth trimester, that period of time when, you know, baby is still very much like he or she was in the womb and getting to know her environments and all of that. But but for mom, Alex, Dr. Sachs's point is that it's a time of matrescence. It's a new vocab word we're learning about today where it's like adolescence. But for moms, you're go- you are becoming a new person. You are changing dramatically. You're physically changing. You're emotionally changing. The- your responsibilities are changing. You're- all your intimate personal relationships are changing. And how do we be kind with ourselves through that period? What can we learn from this period? Um, how- what can we-, we what can we sort of be on the lookout for? You know, things put it into- like put it into perspective. Yes, like breastfeeding and like sleeplessness and like um, you know, intimacy with your partner, all the things that so many of us struggle through and don't want to talk about where you're going to get into today with Dr. Sachs. It's very exciting. And I really think that she encompasses a lot of what we touch here on Mom Brain with all of our other or most of our other episodes, which is just, you know, how do emotionally do we come to terms with this extremely big change in our lives that is Becoming a parent. Mom! We make you do the hard part. We make you introduce yourself. Okay, so please great. give us your bio and I where people she's can be very good at it. Yes, definitely. And where people can find you and learn more about you, uh, your titles, obviously, many of them. Sure. So my name is Dr. Alexandra Sachs. I'm a reproductive psychiatrist and host of the Motherhood Sessions podcast on Gimlet Media and co-author of the book What No One Tells You, A Guide to Your Emotions from Pregnancy to Motherhood. And um, I I am so excited to share with everyone this podcast and this book. I think the podcast is real women's stories. They're they're so brave. They've volunteered to put it out there to help other people know they're lot, not alone. And the book is a, is a guide. It's the first guide to what to expect emotionally when you're expecting in a new motherhood. Mm-hmm. So it's about your heart and mind, not not about the body or the baby. It's about you. I, I, should, I should read that. We you should still can. That. I can. You still I'm gonna can. Read that it for is the next imprint. for number five. <laughs> See, oh my gosh! Seriously. You know what? There's so many things you can learn along the way. Every single time, keep learning. Yeah, I sh- I I'm gonna get you guys books. I actually was thinking when I was coming here, what I wanted to kind of use this opportunity for was like two different women with different stories who are both moms, and just. Kind of talking about what it's like when you're not going through the same thing as your mom friend, like like these two these two women or other women like you two. Oh, us too. Say, I was like, let us talk about ourselves because, again. Because no, but but like, but like these two. But because <laughs> I, I I I was aware of your very brave sharing about your miscarriage, and I was thinking about, just based on the type of work I do, what it's like for one woman to be pregnant. Oh, yeah. And no, one, some people... We can get back there, but just in terms of, like, I'm so interested in the so-called mommy wars mm-hmm. and how how so we've gotten... a mommy war? 
Well, it's this phrase, it's this term, which is basically just, I think, describes when women make each other feel judged. Competi- they get very competitive about it. I mean, I think I think that um, women are, our fertility, especially this age that we're in of our 30s, we get to be, you know, well, how many kids do you have? Well, are they healthier than unhealthy? Well, this, oh my God, well, she gained the da-da-da in her pregnancy. And oh my God, she like didn't gain anything you have. Like, I mean, people are just like... Vicious sometimes. Yeah. I think fertility, breastfeeding. Yes. Yes. Um, and miscarriages and 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 sometimes like using IVF. I mean, but I hear from so many of my patients and the women who talk to me like I'm the I, I th- I'm the only one in my group of friends who had a miscarriage. And statistically that's just not, not the true. case. Or I'm the only one who wasn't able to breastfeed. Again, statistically not the case. Or I'm the only one who's feeling more pushed apart from my partner than bonded. Statistically, that's right. not the case. So I guess like this experience of wanting to go to each other and share, but then I think sometimes this pressure for yourself to always be happy and then to have to be happy for your friends. What do you do if something they're talking about like strikes a chord in you that stirs up something that right. you've had pain around? Like how do you celebrate and simultaneously honor your own I mean, experience? I think it I think it all stems back to how people learn to connect with other people. Yeah. And a lot of people think the way to connect them is to wow them. Like I'm going to come in and I'm going to be like amazing. And to be quite honest, that just either intimidates or makes people hate you or makes you feel unrelatable. Um, And one of the things that I've tried, because as soon as I met my husband and sort of stepped into this world, people started trying to like shine me up and polish me up in ways that I was like, whoa, what are you doing? You know, I used to say, what do you think? I eat like golden cereal flakes for breakfast. Like I'm the same person I was was a couple months ago before I was dating him. Right. And so I think that's one of the reasons where it has really become my mission to be so open is because the way that I, and I hope my friends feel this way, the way that I make people feel comfortable and make them like me is I'm just open and honest and I'm self-deprecating. And hey, if you're going through something, I'm going to unbutton my pants too. Do you know what I mean? Well, that's what made, when you said that, that's what made me think of it. And I think you're in... Like social media is such an amazing thing because it's aspirational, right? And it gives us these beautiful moments that are a great break and that we all want to look up to. But it's also an opportunity, I think, to be real, especially when when you do like you guys have people looking up to you and being mm-hmm. like, oh, their lives must be so perfect, you know? And so I think it's such an amazing thing when you speak about the hard stuff. But then it's interesting as well. So yes, yes, you want to speak about the hard stuff, but then you have the people who get, I feel, and it'll be interesting if this is like a thing get to be almost addicted to being like the Here's what I struggled with today. Oh, that's their main. Here is my main. crying yeah. and here is this and like right. everything with the kids is negative and right. everything it's with the kids is negative. It's almost as annoying as people who put up the, the, the picture. The no, the picture of themselves looking absolutely perfect. Right. Everything's great. But the caption's like, I just cleaned up. It's just, you know, it's just, I, I, was, inter- yeah. I'm, I was listening to what you just said though, Laurie, and I think, I think, um, a lot of it comes back to your intention. It's not yeah. that people don't want you to sparkle. It's not that people don't want you to be great and dynamic and exciting and interesting because a lot of the reason that, you know, that you're able to do the things in your life that any of us are able to do are because of your greatest qualities. Yeah. But I think the int- I think what you were pointing out before Alex is it Alexandra? Ali? Yeah, Ali. sure. <laughs> Dr. Sachs, Dr. what do you call you? Dr. Sachs. I think what you were hinting at before is is the the 
the belief that if you share about what what makes you vulnerable, it damages what makes you strong yeah. is, is, I think, really where women get at odds with each other. I mean, your friend will try to share with you something that they're struggling with or your friend will try to you know, relate to you on something. And I've had women be like, oh, really? I never had that. And I know I freaking know that they did. Yeah. And it just drives you batty because you're the, because I think that's I think that's the intention there is to make you feel less than. I think that's really when you run into and you butt, butt heads. I hadn't heard this mommy wars thing. And I think it's really interesting. Yeah. Um, but I guess like where do we as women think that that comes from? Because, you know, I guess as a therapist, my first thought is insecurity. You know, mm-hmm. I think there are so few things we understand so little about things like why we miscarry, what, why this month we get pregnant and not the month before, why one child has a more difficult temperament than the other. We understand so little about it. There's so little that's prescriptive about how to be a good parent. Like it, it's, it, there, there aren't these right answers. So I think it's very scary when things are happening to you your, and your children that are out of your control that you don't know why. And I think that's one reason I've thought of why women are like, no, this is the right way to do it to each other in that kind of competitive way. Because they're trying to reassure themselves like, okay, I'm doing it right. I'm doing Mm. it right. But beyond that, like, why would one woman want to make another person feel lesser than? But I don't think it's just with women. I think that that comes down to human nature. I mean, everybody is that that it goes back to people wanting to build them push other people down to build themselves back up again and i just think it's a i mean some of it might be a bit of a personality thing but the personality thing is based on what they learned when they were young yeah ultimately it comes down to do you feel do you feel okay when other people feel okay i feel great if i can make you happy yeah i'm gonna be happy yeah if you i said something to my husband this morning i was like i'm not even gonna get into it but it was like so silly and he said to me it was like such a nice moment in a way but that made me feel terrible he said that (laughs) he said that really hurt my feelings and i'm saying it's a nice moment because like alec doesn't talk like that and i try to teach him to talk like that yeah it's good communication i know he said that really hurt my feelings and i almost started crying because like the worst thing you can say to me is that i hurt your feelings Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. ever since i was younger like i remember all the times and it's like you it's like you're stabbing me like i'm like oh my god i'm so sorry and i almost started crying was like this whole thing you guys are a model for women who look up to you and and for two friends right who are going through their own motherhood Mm -hmm. journey is about how to share and support each other when you're in a different moment. Just like snapshot today, right? You guys are in two different moments. So, so interesting. So, Daphne is pregnant with her fourth child. I have four children, but just had a miscarriage. Daphne has one boy and three girls. I have one girl and three boys. Interesting. I very much want to have another daughter. So. Let's and take... I very much would like to have another son. Exactly, right, so, exactly. uh-huh. <laughs> that, that being said, yeah. I'm not like when Daphne like t- tells me that it's a girl. I'm not like, oh, yeah, no, I never I, felt no. that. Like I'm no, not even you, a little but bit. But I could see that that would be something. And interesting this time around when I'm when I mean because since I had such a public miscarriage, which means, you know that. So many people have access to tell your feeling them them you 
their feelings, which I think is really actually interesting because you get to understand people's humanity. Yes. What, how do people really, what do what they want to say? Do they want to share their story? Do they want to make it about you? Do they want to, And what makes know, them feel better? Get nervous. Do they, they get feel better knowing that you went through something similar to them? Do they feel better knowing? Most people. Yeah. yeah. And, and knowing that, that they're allowed to acknowledge that, that, that it happened to them, that they yeah. felt a certain way, that they're, that they're valid. To your point, you know, if you, if you tell your friend your feelings hurt because they're because they're going or they're experiencing something that you longed for and you're yeah. not having in that specific moment, yeah. it doesn't make it shouldn't make their experience any less special. It's not that you're not happy for them. It's just la- allowing them into your inner emotions of like, oh, if I didn't respond to that in the excited, jubilant way that I want to as your friend, I want to be like, this is amazing. I'm so excited. But for me personally, just it hit this raw open wound. I actually think if we were able to have that level of like deeply vulnerable and honest conversation we would all be in a better place i agree it feels you're nervous you're gonna like hurt your friends feeling that you're not happy i mean this whole you know um well i was surprised this time around how many people who were pregnant apologized to me that's interesting pregnant and that's that's what i'm getting at yeah exactly that's where i wanted to get with this whole thing (laughs) and i was like i know it takes us a minute sometimes we like we like take some like pit stops along the way but um you're thinking but but you know what at that and and i said to myself don't ever apologize for being happy and doing i mean i i've i've also done it and even if i hope i would feel the same if i didn't have kids obviously that is a different you know life and i i don't know it but you know i mean i understand that this thing that just happened to me has happened to almost all of my girlfriends almost all of my girlfriends and it's once you open your heart up to be to having kids you got to open up the possibility that you're going to get your heart broken a few times. Yeah. Even, you know, whether it's a miscarriage or it's your kid doing the thing that you don't want them to do yeah. or, you know, getting to uh, hooking up later with the wrong person. You know, I mean, all these different ways that I see, you know, the next, you know, 50 years or whatever it is, it's scary. But, uh, but you know, personally for me, because I think I'm somebody who wants to make feel, people feel comfortable and wants to, to show my true colors, especially because I think I'm somebody who's judged a lot yeah um i'm sure you know daphne as well is judged everybody is judged we just have a lot of more eyes mm-hmm, judging mm-hmm, us than mm-hmm. the average person um and so you i'm constantly trying to be like no this is me no this is me like you guys are wrong i'm actually like really nice person somebody came up to me at a party the other day and she's like thank you so much and started the whole thing about sharing miscarriage and that she had a miscarriage she said it really changed my opinion about you and i was like what and, and I was sort of smiling and say, oh, well, I'm, I'm glad. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for Thank not you. thinking I'm a bitch <laughs> exactly. anymore. Right. Yes, but so when people have to realize as well, like if you're somebody, if you're listening to this and you're somebody who's out there, I strongly believe that when people say that, it doesn't offend me because it just says so much about that person. Right. And their journey. Right. And they're being open and, you know, as well, they're being unfiltered. That sounds unfiltered. And maybe they'll you change know. maybe they'll change their behavior the next time they won't because be so quick exactly. to assume something about 100%. someone else. Yeah, I yeah. do. I mean, I do. Look, I think I think part of why we've been loving the conversations we're able to have on Mom Brain and had the response that we've had is because it just goes to show that you can you can think someone's life is so easy from the outside looking in. You can assume you you referenced a couple of things that women oftentimes think they're the only ones in their friend group that they struggle with and everyone else who they're friends with is perfect and the you know, breastfeeding, fertility to begin with, partnerships, all of these things. And I actually think 
when, you know, the, the sort of conversations that we have that are first and foremost about motherhood, but really dynamically about women, period, and about what it means to be a woman today in this modern environment where there's so many inputs coming at you all the time and so many judging eyeballs, whether, I mean, Ilari and I are, live in a public world where where the, it's a different scale of eyeballs, but I feel like everyone has some degree of exposure mm-hmm. that like my mm-hmm. mother and my grandmother and yes. my great grandmother were never exposed mm-hmm. to. Or it was different. Um, like, I think, I think we're in a beautiful time for women because there's so many more roles that we're, we are, are acceptable for us. Like, working, being financially powerful, but then there's still the traditional roles that women still want to occupy, being domestic, being caretakers. And I think it's I think women like in the 50s were judged in certain ways like, oh, you think you, I just watched the opposite of sex, um, the Ruth Bader Ginsburg movie. Yes. Oh, yes. And it's it's beautiful because it shows her as like in that era that she was turned away from one after another law firm and it was just like why aren't you home taking care of your children she was like I'm the number one person in my class in law school (laughs) are you kidding but I mean that was a different time they were judged for those things I think in this time we're judged in a much more confusing way because it's like there are so many different right ways to be a woman but I think there's no way to do everything (laughs) perfectly. And so I think that's that thing that maybe women bring to each other, like, okay, I'm supposed to be beautiful and this weight and successful and nurturing and patient and supportive of my friends, even when I'm on, on, like, you know, how do you do it? Well, on top, so going on that, people will often say on social media to us or to other people, um, okay, well, you know, they have this and this and this, but... They have people helping them or but, you know, this and this and this or but she doesn't do this very well or but her husband's unhappy. Like there's a lot of like, OK, what? How, let me look at this. What are you sacrificing figure, that's letting all of the other things be good? Somebody wrote to me, I, I don't know, last night or the night before or something like that. It was at night. I remember because I was tired. When I was reading, <laughs> um, asking, like, how do you do it all? Which you hear that a lot. I don't I don't know how you do it all. You know, fitness and work and kids and husband and red carpets and all. I don't know how you do it. And my response was, I don't. Right. I, I don't do it all. No one does. No one does it all. And I make mistakes and I get overwhelmed. I had a lot of kids at my house yesterday and I really like was on to like pull my hair out by the end of like just like having to, you know, handle everybody's different meltdowns and emotions and stuff like that. And and it was fun. Like we had a lot of fun, but I needed like a minute afterwards. Yeah. And, you know, it, that was like a perfect example of I, I didn't do it all. And, you know, Romeo was throwing things all over the floor and I'm like on my hands and knees, like wiping it up and then walking. Walking away and then realizing I missed a spot and I have to like take out the cleaning products again and do it. I mean, there's there's just these days where we just every day we don't do it all. Right, and so much of life is mm-hmm. out of our control. Like when your child is throwing things on the rug and making stains, it's it's not like you could prevent it necessarily. No, you can't, and, I mean, you, and you shouldn't, and you should allow them to not do that necessarily, but allow them to be. You know, he's 11 months old. Like, what am I supposed yeah. to do? Like, but I oh, also, you should know I that? I think there's something more at play here, too, which is, like, we we have a really hard time determining what it is that makes us happy. Yes. And I think we look around us and we say, oh, well, this makes her happy. Like, maybe I'll try that. Or, like, I'll try this because this seems to work. And I, I think if we are honest with ourselves about what we actually enjoy and what really brings our lives a lot of meaning and makes our families happy, makes us happy, we don't have the same need to do it all because that's that's just like, first of all, 
only only women think that we really have to be all the things that you just said. There are 24 hours in the day. Inevitably, things fall by the wayside. If you worked out today, it means you probably didn't answer all the emails. Or if you answered all the emails, you probably didn't get to do pickup. Or if you did pick up, you probably didn't get to go to the gym. Like right. there are trade-offs. They right. have to exist that right. way. Um, and and I think we are really hard on ourselves. We we assume any degree of help is like sacrificing our motherhood in some way. You know, if your friend does you a favor, it's like, oh, well, I should have been able to do it myself. And it's, no, you shouldn't have. It's insane. Why would you bother? Like, if you, if someone's offering to give you a hand, let them and and then return the favor. And I love, I think that community is so critical, but I also think us taking ownership in our own lives of not feeling the need to justify everything that we do to make it okay for everyone else. There are sacrifices I make all the time that I would never expect any other mother to make. And there are choices I make all the times that lots of mothers don't make for their own families. And like, that's because that makes me happy and it makes our family work and it makes our family happy. And I think, um, I think we're afraid to, to, to be maybe it sounds selfish maybe it sounds like no i think you know. i think what you just said is extremely wise i think that what you're just you said if you know what makes you happy this this is not so difficult for you this issue of looking around at others and comparing yourself and i think it's that's really the work is trying to look within and trying to find a way to feel grounded and accepting of who you are and your journey, like where you've been, how you got here and where you want to go. That's what you want to look out in the world and look for and become excited by and push for. And, you know, not not other people's journeys. Right. And it's but like I think it, you should also want to have other people's journeys be happy because the more happy people there are in the world, the better we are going to be. I want to walk down the street and I want everyone to, to be, be happy. I don't yeah. want to be like, okay, everybody can be happy, but not as happy yeah. as me. Yeah. So I'm just gonna no, yeah. no, just, no. just a notch. Or just, or, it's, no. or it's like like no. Daphne said, it's like a warning sign. Maybe I'm not in such a good place today if I'm struggling noticing someone else's joy. Like, what do I need to do to right. take care of myself better today? Because clearly my cup is not full. Mm-hmm. Right. You know? And and I think that's that's really that's really important is being able to sit with that because that feeling feels like crap when, yeah. you're, when you're when you realize that you're. That that someone someone else's happiness, joy, experience, whatever feels like it's a zero sum game for you. Feels like somehow it's off limits to you because they're experiencing it. I, I I don't I I feel like it's really hard to sit with that and feel like it's not about them at all. It has nothing to do with them. It's about how I feel in this particular moment. But I I found this to be really helpful. Whether it was with with you know starting at the very you know early part of my life with weight loss, starting with school, going into you know new new marriage, going into motherhood in the beginning, especially um, where I I would frequently try to remind myself of processes that I'd done successfully before, things that had gone well before, and the steps it took to get there. Yeah. Because I think when you're in a struggle, and a lot of early motherhood especially is a it's, mm-hmm. it is a struggle because you're and I really want to I want you to just describe for, for everyone um, what it is to say, to say you're in reproductive psychiatry. Yeah, I think sure. it's a really exciting novel term people won't have heard about. And I, it's yeah. really important to get to that phrase. But I but I want to talk about the, the 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 shedding of the skin of like who you were before you had children and allowing yourself the process to 
be successful in that and realizing, as you will, from all the other times you've been successful in your life, that it's never easy the whole way. Right. And it's never perfect the whole way. And no one ever does it all the whole way. People have backpedaling and then they have periods of growth and then they have plateau and then they, I mean, it's just, yeah, and that's what makes life so exciting and interesting is that we're constantly evolving. Yes. It would be so boring if we hit that, you know, stepward wife and never, (laughs) nothing ever changed. No hair out of place. Nothing ever changed. Yeah. So, so I'm a reproductive psychiatrist. That means that I'm a medical doctor and I'm trained as a psychiatrist. And then I went into this specialty training that's really around treating and preventing postpartum depression and depression and anxiety during pregnancy and breastfeeding, which they needed a specialty for to answer basic questions like, is Prozac safe to, to stay on now that I'm pregnant? Right. Mm. Or if I have postpartum depression and I'm being started on antidepressant, what do I do if I'm breastfeeding? So it's a very technical medical subspecialty that is um, with you know people who are amazing, who, who mentored me, who really call the literature and try to answer these complicated questions that are really about risk and benefit and treating and preventing postpartum depression or what we call now the PMADS, perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. My work has sort of taken a little bit of a right turn from that work because as I was going through these conversations with women, I was realizing that people were using this term. People were saying, do I have the postpartum or do I have postpartum depression? And, you know, these were people, whether they knew it or not, it was like the word they had heard of to describe struggling. And for so many of these women, they did not meet clinical criteria for mental illness for a depressive disorder. That n- Not to say there's anything wrong with that. We need more research and advocacy and treatment for depression. But there were a, a whole large group of women who were going through a developmental transition, who were struggling. And for me as a physician, it was not a surprise because your body's changing, your hormones are changing. All of your relationships and roles are shifting, not only like the amount of time in a day that you have once a baby arises to take care of yourself or to be with your friends or to be with your partner, the fatigue. Exactly. Those are all of the behavioral and biologic things, how your sleeping changes, how your body changes, how your sex life changes. I mean, it's so physical. It's so hormonal. And it's so psychological just in terms of when this creature comes, you know, newborn human babies we have this creature. They're so creatures. They're little aliens. In the, I know. In the animal kingdom, they're so. They would never survive. They would never. They, we. Someone explained this to me. I thought, sorry to interrupt you. No, but no, it was you, so you know it. No, no. It's, it just was. Someone explained that when humans became bipedal, we had to walk on our two hind feet. Our pelvises had to shrink to allow that to happen. That's right. And they're too small to birth babies at like a theoretically properly gestated That's right. age. So they come. All of our babies come premature. I mean, there's no other animal that births a baby that is as completely unself-sufficient as That's human right. babies they're, are. No, no, you're That's you're interesting. You're crazy. You're totally on it. Um, There's that, the size of our pelvis, and also just the metabolic demands of an infant as, you know, a baby that would be 10 months 
18 months. Chimpanzees are when they're born, their babies are the way our babies are at 18 months. Oh my gosh. So so the caloric demands, what we would need to eat in order to feed these creatures, we we couldn't do it. So it's the size of the pelvis and the metabolic demands that are like put us out of the running. So we have our babies, what is it? Like like many, many, many months before they're quote fully cooked. That's why we talk about the fourth trimester because it's, it's actually, it's the first trimester of motherhood. And I think the language should change to talk about that. Like, it's not your fourth trimester. It's your first trimester. But it's the baby's fourth trimester because the baby's still growing. The baby kind of, Mm. you know, they're sleeping. They're not really interactive. They're kind of as if they're still in utero because they're not really ready. So what's required in our lives, the cognitive attention and the emotional attention, and I think the natural, like, evolutionarily inspired uh, anxiety, vigilance that's required to zero in on this vulnerable creature. Everything needs to shift to make room, at least in the beginning. So this change for a woman is physical, is hormonal, it's psychological, it's cognitive, it's an intense demand. And, and then the, the literal body that you're in is changing and the sleep that you're able to have is changing. And the supports that you're able to get by nurturing your other primary bonds of intimacy with your partner are changing. So it's it's a developmental shift. And there's this word, it's it's really hard to remember, so I'm not sure it's so helpful to keep using, but it's called matrescence. And it was coined by a medical anthropologist in the 70s. But it's a word that I like because it sounds like adolescence. Because mm. we know that teenagers are all over the place in body, in hormone, and in their social roles. It's interesting. And so we don't, when we see teenagers struggling, we're not like, do they have a depression? Now, some teenagers do, right? It's, it's not that we need to take that seriously. But to not feel like you naturally know what you're doing, to not feel like you have your bliss, to not feel like you have everything under control, we do not expect teenagers under those right. similar circumstances to have that. It's an awkward phase. And so the same is, I think, true for new motherhood. I think you're so right. I think it is it is physical. It is emotional. But I also think it's um, – if you're someone who entered motherhood or entered pregnancy with your life really, you know, under control and like you knew who yeah. you were and yeah. you knew how to interact with people, you knew what to expect from their interactions with you. Yeah. You kind of you could count on yourself. I think that's really what shifts is yeah. all of a sudden you're like, where I, I know I had a train of thought. Like I know it was there. It was on the tracks and now it is completely gone. You you have to get to know yourself in a new way, too, and how all of your most deeply held conceptions of who you are and how you function in the universe have completely changed overnight. Yes. And I think that's scary for people and they don't know that that's natural and normal. I think people worry, does this mean I'm not cut out for this? Does this mean that I don't have those nurturing instincts? Does this mean that I'm selfish? No. It means that you're going through an extraordinary shift and you've never done this before and change is hard. Change is hard, even if it's the most beautiful change. You know, that's why people cry at weddings. It's just, (laughs) it's bittersweet. It's new beginnings always involve an ending. And like motherhood is one of the most beautiful and exquisitely scary new beginnings, Mm -hmm. you know? What, um, how can people tell the difference? So, so we understand right now we're on our journey and we understand that there is postpartum depression and then there is new motherhood. What was the word used? Matrescence. Matrescence. (laughs) Then there's matrescence. How can we, so somebody just has a baby, they're listening to this or they had a baby a while ago and they're wondering or they're going to have a baby and they want to know what to look for. How can you tell when it is true postpartum? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think what I always say is when in doubt, 
ask your doctor or call the postpartum support international hotline, which I can give you guys to share. Okay. Basically, when in doubt, if you need medical help, just ask. Because worst thing that'll happen is that someone will tell you, you know, you're going through an adjustment period. There's there's this you should be feeling better after a few nights of sleep. Right. But then if you're in that zone where you'd really benefit from treatment, great. Then you're on your way to getting the support you need. So I would never encourage anyone to self-diagnose. That being said, I think there are some cardinal things like sleep. If you're unable to sleep when you're tired mm-hmm. because your mind is racing with worries, that's that's an issue, right? That's an issue where you're not able to like let your body rest, right? right. Or if you're unable to eat or if you're unable to experience any pleasure. Like mm-hmm. let's say you're watching your favorite TV show and, you know, the baby's finally resting and if if nothing sparks joy anymore, those are symptoms of depression, right? I think crying is complicated because in the baby blues, which up to at least eighty percent of women have, you can have that emotional. Sensitivity. I cried a lot, a lot yeah, of crying. A lot, yeah, 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 it's a lot. Yeah, but it, but 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 you know, if you're feeling hopeless, and if that's your, and if it's really hard to escape that emotion, you know, those are all symptoms. But oftentimes, anxiety is the primary thing. So you mentioned before, checking and observing your baby. Are they sleeping? So things like that, again, natural kind of vigilance, that's totally natural. But if you have, let's say you call your pediatrician and they say, nope, everything's fine, nothing to worry about. Or sometimes this happens with feeding, like, you know, am I getting my baby enough milk or, you know, are they rolling over yet? Are they meeting their developmental milestones? If after asking reassurance from your pediatrician, if you still don't believe it, if like day after day, you just cannot trust right. and and kind of give yourself a moment of peace when your child is in fact safe, that that may be a sign that anxiety is taking over. And so with with treatment, you would actually be able to think more clearly and not not doubt your own logic so much. With my with Carmen, I so the entire pregnancy I mean, is my my first baby. I had all the the milestones, and I'd be like, okay, if I can just get to three months. Okay, if I can just get to, you know, the 16 weeks. Okay, you know, the anatomy scan. Okay, we get to this part. Okay, if I can just birth her. And then and then I thought it was like clear coasting. It's going to be great. I remember her on my chest right after she's born. And I was like, oh, my God, I have to keep her alive now. I haven't been planning yeah. at all yeah. for this. Yeah. I was so focused. So the first week, I did not sleep moments at a time like literally like my family came over like already they're like go into your room i had this thing this like a some sort of like camera that i could do from my phone fortunately alec broke it very soon after <laughs> it was like but it but i could you were move looking it, at it when and you i could, could watch her so, yeah. no i went into yeah. my room and i'd be like and they're like hey larry we can hear the cameras <laughs> yeah but i was so afraid because all of a sudden everybody told me about sids yeah and i was like Oh my God, my baby! I'm I'm gonna see my baby, and she's perfect, and then she's just gonna die. Yeah, and that's it. Well, I mean, it's like that combination of that awareness of their extraordinary fragility, and how do you live with that reality? But you know what? That's true for toddlers. That's true for teenagers. Like, how do you live right. with the reality that you can't ever one thousand percent fully protect your child? That's a human. That's like the it's, human nature of parenthood. Scary. But then, but then also know that you're doing the best you can, right. and also be able to live with that. But that's true for being like a human being. How do we know that you know we're not going to walk across the street and da da? But this matrescence that you're talking about. I mean, I feel like the first. Few few months of Carmen's life, 
it helped me to learn to let go. It gave me the skills to be able to wrap my mind around this miscarriage that I just had of realizing, you know, you put these babies out there and you can only do your best to try to protect them. Yeah. And then the, and then you're just going to have to, you know, take deep breaths and heal again and again and again, yeah. if, even for the tiny, tiny, tiny things. Yeah. And you I know, think but, that's where perfectionism comes in, too, because I think that's another thing that people judge themselves about, like the breastfeeding thing. You know, I should be this. I should be that. It, it, you there's it's not always in your control. It's often not in your control. And so that's why we have this other expression, which is good enough mothering. And I think sometimes people say, oh, my baby deserves better than good enough. But I'm sorry, you are a human being and perfection is not an option for you. You're not a robot. It doesn't you don't stop growing and evolving. You're human. So you're constantly balancing your needs, the baby's needs. Your body will sometimes give you what you want and it sometimes will frustrate you. So this thing about perfection is kind of like even in this universe where as if we could control everything and as if we could give our child as if if you stood over that crib and just never slept that that, was my plan (laughs) you know but but you can't because you have a brain and your brain won't function if you don't sleep and I think just honoring that and like the system is designed for that we are supposed to be human because if we were perfect then our children would have that example that they would have to be perfect and that's not good for self-esteem and if we were always needing to be in our children's hovering, you know, that's what fosters the helicopter mothering or the snowplow parenting. You know, it interferes with a child's development when you're always in their face and not giving them any breathing room to make their own mistakes because that's how you learn, right? What I've done, because we talked about helicopter parenting Mm -hmm. recently, and so I'm trying to be super aware now of it. And so I'll Pick my, I, I have my thing where I pick my battles. I'm like, okay, I'm going to be a helicopter parent when they're eating because choking freaks me out. And, a, and my kids, a couple of them have not like horrible choking, but just like enough to make my, I choked when I was younger. So oh. I'm like traumatized from yeah. choking, like really bad choking. It was horrible. Um, and so I've got terrible fear of them choking. That is scary. And so, so scary. And then they just, they, sometimes they just cough and I'm like, oh my God. It's the moment I'm like slapping on them on the back and forth things. But then I'm like, for me, I'm I'm such a monkey that my kids love to climb up on things, too, because they see me do it. And people will come over they're like, whoa, whoa they, they shouldn't be doing that. And I'll ask them, like, are you good with what you're doing? What are you thinking? And then so I like I'm like, all right, I freak out with the, the eating. But you're going to be great. You can be climbing up on something. Be that's great. a great example where you you that's a human revelation, right? You're more anxious about some things than others. You you know intellectually that your child knows how to swallow, right? Like, right. Yeah. Just as they know how to jump properly, like their bodies are developing their sense in space and those natural reflex. But for you, because of your own history, the swallowing thing is more scary. Mm-hmm. So you're allowing yourself to kind of let those fears. I chop off everything. Really, you know those puffs that. That um that disintegrate in the mouth, no, dissolve yeah, in the mouth. Puffs. Yeah, I cut I cut those puffs up into twelve, <laughs> pe- 12 pieces you when they first started. To be kidding nope. me. Now, but now Romeo, <laughs> this is the fourth child. At like ten months, I started giving him. He's gonna grab the bottle from pieces. you. Like, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Now at eleven months, thing. he gets the whole thing, which is like way more advanced than any of my other kids. That is so no, but we all have our things. Yes, we all thing. have things that make us anxious. That's called being human. 
And it's great to give yourself, to let yourself relax when you can and to accept that you're going to worry about things too. Mm-hmm. So well, let's go back to when you when you meet with patients. Are you primarily meeting with people who are new mothers or mothers a few years out or yeah. expected mothers? So who there's a with? whole range. I'm going to tell you guys about the women I'm meeting with for my podcast because based on HIPAA, that's like those are the people who volunteered okay, to share sure. their stories. Sure, sure, sure. And, and it is very reflective of the women that I meet with in my office. Um, and I've worked with in hospitals and all over the, the 10 years that I've been doing this. So I think there are lots of different things that women struggle with. So just for example, on the podcast, we have a woman who's coming in. She's in her late 30s. She lost her a parent in her early 30s. And that really set mm. her off course, right? Like we talked about your journey. That was kind of what she was focusing on, parenting her siblings, right? Working on trying to help her family with financial stability. So she's in her late 30s. She's dating. She's doing great. But she's like, I want to have kids. But I don't know if I am ready to do this by myself. How do I navigate my biological clock? She had fibroids, so she's learning about egg freezing. So, like, that's a motherhood story, right? She's on her way, but that's where she is now. She doesn't know. She, she, that's that's a struggle that she wanted to have help with to think to think through. And how did you help her reason through that? Well, you know, we talked about all sorts of things, but I think helping her figure out her mother was a single mom and she really admired her mother she like she 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 they were very close and she looked up to her as like a hero like a superwoman but she herself actually really wants to be partnered before having a baby mm-hmm. she really does mm-hmm. and i think i think a lot of these stories it's about talking about where we've come from like you so beautifully just shared that you had a choking experience as a child like so many of the things that are our hang-ups in parenthood or in our planning of our lives have to do with where we've come from so for this woman you know she was kind of like felt like it was a weakness that she couldn't just say i want i want to be a parent i'm going to go for it she was like no i actually want love first and I'm going to figure out the next steps, however it works with adoption or wh- whatever right. is my path, you know. But that's that is what's important, most important to me. And she had to kind of like give herself permission to say that she actually didn't feel ready to be a single mom. Um, so that so kind of like like allowing yourself to be on your own journey. Another woman um, who I spoke with was about to deliver her second baby, and she was feeling really tearful about ending this time with her first. Oh, that's so hard. That is that is really. I feel like there's. I've never met someone who doesn't feel that way. Yeah. Yeah. It's it was so it's so interesting. And I spoke with someone yesterday about this as well. It's like this feeling of loss. Mm -hmm. And again, that goes back to the bittersweet. It's not just about new parenthood where every new beginning also involves an ending. It's also like with a new addition to your family. Right. That's a change. But for her, again, this had a lot to do with her family's story. She had had some traumatic separations in her family. There was a divorce. And so for her, change was associated with bad. Mm -hmm. But we talked about how might change be actually for the better. Your daughter is no longer a baby and she's now a two-year-old and about to become a big sister. But maybe that's what she wants. Maybe she's excited about growing and and running around and feeding. Exactly. Maybe she doesn't want to be a baby anymore. You know, maybe change comes with good. That's that's it. That has what helped me so much. I mean, Carmen, I don't know how you felt about your first the first birthday of Philo, but I cried. I was like, she's not a baby anymore. And I took me 18. And she's going to leave my house. Like all of a sudden we went from one to 18 and then gone. 
And um, and then she started getting like really excited about her birthdays. And she was like, I'm such a big girl. And then you kind of like get excited with yeah. them of like, oh, yeah, you're going. Like, of course, you have your moments. You're like, oh, my baby. But there's some like element of it of growing up is really beautiful. And yes. you can start to see that. And then that's that moment. I mean, I every single time I have four kids. I don't know how you feel as well. You have, now you have two things they have to respond to, Daphne. <laughs> okay. So the so the other thing is every single. I feel exactly the same way that she says she was feeling or yeah. is feeling. Yeah. Same time, I have a kid. Yeah. And I get like weepy with my youngest at yeah. that point, and because I'm like, oh, it's not my baby anymore. They're always your baby. Right. They're always your baby. And the fact that you're even thinking about that means that you're going to be a really good inclusive mom who is going to bring them all together. Yeah. I think I, w- I wonder sometimes, like, I'll walk into the room and, and all three of them will be there in the playroom playing together. And I find my I catch myself having this, it's sort of like an out-of-body cognitive experience of, like, who do I go to first? Does it affect the baby if I hug the older two first because they're closer to me or they're running at me or they're a, I know they know and they're waiting for me to come to them? Or is it about her because she's the littlest one and she's had the least time with me so far and like, do I, you know, should I go to her? For, and I, 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 in listening to you have this conversation, I realize that's because I feel like I had, my, and my siblings know this, yeah. so I'm not like bursting anyone's bubbles, but I had this blissful, you know, four, almost five years of being an only child. Yeah. <laughs> and then my sister came along, who I'm now best friends with, and I love my siblings dearly, but it was a really rough first couple years. I yeah. mean, first couple years of feeling like, how could you do this yeah. to me? Yeah. Life was so good. And and a part of it was because I was treated like a little adult, and I, my mom was basically a child when she had me, and mm. you know, I my dad was in medical school, and we would we would have these long stretches of time where he wasn't coming home because back then doctors did not have you know like any kind of regulations on how many hours they could work, so he'd be there for you know a hundred hours on end. It was crazy. So we'd pack him in the car, we'd go to my grandparents' farm. I was it was just so much intensity of love and nurturing all focused on me, and then I feel like once my siblings started arriving, obviously that had to be shared. My mom got busier, but it was also my the re- expectations on me were changed. Right, the responsibility I had were changed. Totally was changed. And I think I resented that feeling of like my innocence was lost. My ability to be just a normal, like just a kid was lost. And I had to be a big sister and I had to help and I had to be aware and I had to be more grown up. I had to be more mature. And so when I catch myself, um, with Philomena, particularly my oldest, like I, you're, I, when you said that you were crying on her first birthday, I remember fe- our friends had left, and I and I, you know, I was put, I put her to sleep, and I, I actually remember crying almost like every night after I put her to sleep, because I would sing these songs that I remember. I'm gonna cry now. This is like hormones are so <laughs> crazy, guys. They're <laughs> real. Um, but they, I, just, they were songs that like I that my mom would sing to me when when I was little, and like. And I was I just remember feeling how precious that time was and how fleeting yeah. it was. I'm really not gonna cry. <laughs> um, I, I bring ther- I bring, <laughs> bring tissues with me wherever I go. It comes with the t- it comes with the territory. Yeah, right? um, but I but I feel like that's what I'm most hyper aware of yes. is allowing her to have the moments where she's still gonna be a kid. Like she just turned yes. five and five was five sounds like and feels like by comparison to the babies a big age it's right big, but, but it's still kids. very little they're just little and and when they have these 
you know, she she is, especially by comparison to me, I was this horrible little tyrant. Philomena is this like wonderfully nurturing. She loves to be a big sister. She loves to include her her brother, especially their best friends. Um, and she I, wants to make everybody feel she good. Make, she she's is, you. She has, she's like, hilarious. She she's wants to make like literally. And, and it's funny because when my daughter, who's the same way, yeah, and her thanks, daughter Kyle, get together, thanks. they had this one. I feel like they've only had like one incident ever. One. And they were like in the moment. It was like, cause it was I don't even so understand. What was like, There's something about a unicorn. There yeah, was, like it was those like bouncy, bouncy unicorn, unicorn things. And then both of them ended up crying because they thought they hurt the other one's yeah, feelings. Right, right. And it was like, oh, right. no, we sweet. Were just like, but, it was really sweet. I was completely sweet. confused. But a couple <laughs> things. Like, it was so cute. First of all, it's so great that you have the insight that your experience of being an only kid for a little while and then the shift is coloring how you're looking at your kids. So yeah. I think that's like the number one thing that I try to work on with people is what is your story and how how is that impacting your gaze as a mother, right? Because mm. we've all been through this before because we've all had families, except we were the kid. Mm. So you're bringing your own stuff. And I think the best way you can truly see your child and and parent them with the most empathy is to just be aware of your own story and how it's coloring what you're seeing. But but your story is also so great because this was a moment of frustration that you experienced as a little girl. You were like, I miss the attention. I don't like this responsibility. But I guarantee you all of that frustration that you experienced gave you extraordinary strengths that you have now and that you brought in with you once you were school age, you could tolerate like being around other children. Oh being no, around other I'm people. the mother hen for all my friends. I I have I am always the big sister. I'm oh in my mentality, and that's what to your point about the two year old whose brother making her a big sister and her allowing her to grow up as actually maybe what she wants and maybe what she needs. That's how it ended up. It ended up coloring the personality I have now. A that for the most part I'm I'm pretty good at like going with the flow and being part of a group and yeah. and and. and seeing what other people need uh, and at, bef- without them having to ask for it because the people who Empathy. needed things for me were little and didn't know how to ask what they needed for. Um, but it was also, yeah, it, it is, it, it, that's something that I think is really just to put a, a bow on this conversation about the challenges of motherhood yes. because they feel so dire when you're in them and they feel interminable and you're like, will I ever feel good about myself again? Will I ever feel capable of this and competent to be a good mother? Will I ever feel like the mother I thought I was going to be? Yes. And I think what you end up feeling is so much better than that, actually, because you you are you are the perfect mother for your children. Yes. Your children are the perfect children for you. And you're learning from each other the whole time. Yes. That blew my mind. And that, it's a that, flow. That and that's filled with flaws. If you had no flaws, if you were a machine, you would not be the perfect mother for your children. They want you with your flaws because that's like, you know, what did I hear someone describe? Someone was like describing how their child, they, they had gained weight, but their child was like, oh, those are like the cuddly parts. Like oh. they were just, <laughs> just like more of you to love, but, mommy. But, 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 but whatever it is, like, like the moment where where you you do burst into tears or you do crack up or whatever. It's like that's where they see your humanness. That's where they see your humanity. And that's where they learn by example about their own feelings. And so you don't have to be perfect. That's that's not the point. And and also just like these moments where our children experience frustration are not bad for them. That that's healthy. And you're gonna use your awareness to see with your with your five-year-old, like you know she still needs her baby time. So you'll carve out moments for her where it's just still one-on-one and you'll give her that you know it doesn't matter that she has other babies in the house we struggled 
we prevailed mm-hmm. and we became really wise in the process. So I wise. think that is the takeaway. So now, one, I know we have to let you go, but one thing before we let you go that I'd love to bring this bring this back with something you just said. And then I just for for mothers um, and future mothers who are listening, um, I wanted to to ask you this about. Um, so it goes back to you are the perfect mother for your kid. Your kid is the perfect mother for you. And I think that that also helps going back to what we were talking about at the beginning about um, the rivalry and jealousness yes. and stuff yes. like that is, you know, I mean, I'm sitting next to a woman who is having another daughter and is pregnant. When we were pregnant, we were like, oh, we're pregnant at the same time. Yeah. Like we talked about our due dates and how far and stuff like that. And not for a moment do, not only when we already covered, not for a moment do I not want her to be happy and to have her like amazingness um, and have the healthy baby and all the wonderful things it's going to be. But I also like, the idea that people would sit next to each other and want what the other person has yeah. when it's like, well, I don't want her baby. I right. want my version. Right. right. Do you know what I mean? I hope that I'm, I am, I know I will be in that place. Right. But I'm, but I'm, and I'm going to be excited. And Daphne's going to be excited for me when that happens. Yeah. But like, I think more women can get to say, okay, this is your experience and I can't put your experience on my experience. That's such a, that's such a good point. You know, when you're little and you're, and you're jealous of your friend or someone gets to do something that you didn't get to do. like all my mom my parents were so such control freaks uh, we're not even they, I thought they were control freaks they really just wanted us to have time as a family and that was like their number one priority so I never got to go to parties I never got to go to like you know I never got to go to like R-rated movies I mean they were it was crazy that's why you're such a party animal yes, now I'm such a rager um, but that's but but exactly I was like well why why you know why does she get to do this or why doesn't why does he get to do that and my mom or, or and my dad everyone would always say you not just like well if you know Jimmy's jumping off the bridge are you gonna fall yeah but, oh my god but, yes but also would you trade places with them in right. a heartbeat would you trade places with them and the reality is and part and just to bring it full circle part of why I think the conversation that you sparked Larry is so important is because no one ever knows the details of someone else's life yes and the the little ways that we can provide color for people to see that. There are so many, so many struggles that are private and silent and and that you that you see some of the good stuff and you assume that that is everything. Um, You would not trade lives with them even for all the great parts because it wouldn't be yours, you know, and that's that is, I think, something that that. we will always struggle with. <laughs> but, yeah. but, but the I, more that we can acknowledge and focus yeah. on it, I think that you can get to a place where like, hey, I'm me. I'm enough. I don't have to be perfect. And the more that I focus on myself, the better and better and better I'm going to be. Yeah. And the parts that you like the I best. I think just use your feelings as information. Your your gut, your feelings, even when those feelings are sadness, are information about what you need. So if you're looking at someone else's life and you're thinking, ooh, I'd like that, I want that, then maybe you need to think about how to get it in your life, your exactly. version of it. It's information. And, you know, we all, to sit with your vulnerability to sit with your truth is to tell you what you need to feel better and what you want next. But it's it's not going to come in someone else's lane. It's going to have to come in your lane. We really do have to let you go. But just just this last point, what is it about that experience that they're that like if if you're the person feeling that way, is what you're craving stability? Is it someone to see you? Is it nurturing? Is it partnership? Is it more adventure? More adventure. Like whatever. You know, whatever yeah. the hell it might be. Is yeah. it sushi on a Thursday night? Yeah. Like you, you have to, again, you have to be responsible for and okay with 
to your point about the patient who knew that she wanted a partner before she had children, which many people don't care about. And she really cared about and that she had to know that was what was yeah in her mind, what she needed to be happy. And I think that's what's really cool is if you maybe something makes you feel icky, maybe something makes you feel less than harness that. Yeah. Use that to let you know about yourself, something that you feel you're missing that you need. And if you can fix it, fix it. Mm-hmm. And if you can't fix it, release it. I think that's there's a there's a saying that I can't remember right now because I have so many holes in my brain. Um but but it's that you know give me the strength to to fix what I can and No, oh, it's it's a, it's a saying I think there there is a saying in AA that's so beautiful. Yes. Um the courage I I'm not going to get it right but it is something to do with like the the courage to face the things that that I can change and the acceptance to to, to accept the things that I can and sort of the strength to know the difference. I'm Yes. I, I, I no, but, that was I very, butchered that, that too. Very good. But it's yeah, it's it's your feelings are information and your vulnerability can be your best clue about mm-hmm. what you need next. And I think like to wrap up all the things we talked about today, we're not static, we're not perfect, we're not robots, but that's the good news because we're constantly evolving and growing. Our children are, and that's why things get a little messy, but that's why you have to Tell your truth, check in with yourself mm-hmm. and figure out what's next for you and figure out what your child is also trying to communicate to you about what's next for them. And our spouses and our friends. Yeah, it's always in a it's nutshell, organic. You should be happy and everyone around you too. Yes. Yes. Well I <laughs> yes. would say I would say I would say in a nutshell, you should try to find the courage to face your truth and make space for everyone around that you too. too. That, yeah, because it's not happy okay, every not, day. Ha- not be, ha- but you know, happy <laughs> be accepting, self, no, but not be perfectly authentic. happy. Maybe it's not that you have to be happy, but that you have to Mostly feel happy. you you are allowed to be happy, yes. and that everyone else is allowed to be happy. Yes, and that we are all on a journey. No one is static. Yes. No one's perfectly exactly where they were always deciding to yeah. be. Yeah, and sometimes the road to happiness involves some bumps. Oftentimes, and, and, but yes. you know what? I think that there's like, whenever I feel unhappy. I always try to think like, oh, but it could have been so much worse. Or, oh, but like, like I'll drop well, a coffee. Beautiful, beautiful I'll, quality of her. She'll I'll like spill a full coffee. Full and I'm like, and, and then I have that moment of like, oh, and then I'm like, at least it's I'm not white. Black. We at call that a coping black. skill. Exactly. No, immediately I do it 100%. That so drives my husband crazy because <laughs> no, he's like, let me just be angry for a second. I'm like, but it could have been so much worse. It could have been cement. It was just. It could have been on fire. (laughs) We could have absolutely nothing in the world. Keeping perspective. Perspective. Okay, so one of the things that we love to ask our guests to do is give us your favorite thing, which is the thing that you're telling all your girlfriends about. That the it can be a product, it can be a service, it can be a book, or whatever that you're like dying over right now. My favorite thing. is is motherhood sessions podcast? No, 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 no. no, 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 no. Like other things, like, like a lipstick, or yeah, like it's a, like that, or your favorite, like food, or like a dip, or like a, a, a puzzle. It could be anything. Okay, um, I am really into lavender oil. And really into using all different senses to help 
people learn how to kind of calm down and and use your body and your mind Mm. in that kind of cooling down that we're just learning in terms of how the brain works, how all these pieces fit together, like yoga, like breath, like smell, Um, all the the mindfulness stuff is is my are my favorite things. Lavender oil at the top. So you're like super yin yang. You're not just like this, like Western doctor. You are yin yang. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Whatever works. I, you're yeah. this. I'm, I've been doing a little experiment with my children um, where I will change the aromatherapy that's on when they come home from school. Mm. Um, because I'm just curious about how it affects them. You know, some days I'll put orange and sometimes I'll put. Do it's you interesting know that you put the water in. Yeah. So I have a little okay, tub. That, that's going to be your favorite thing today because oh, okay. I want to know about it because yeah. mine got moldy. You have to do periodically do like a vinegar and, and okay. baking soda. Okay. Cleaning. Well, you that the, but your favorite. <laughs> I'm choosing your favorite <laughs> thing today. My favorite thing is what a lot. <laughs> what I need to but, know about but how but smell really, can change mood is, for is me, fascinating. It yeah. my mood. Yeah. Like I, I real, I, it, it is so. Mag- and you realize when you walk into a serene space, like if you ever, if you've ever been to a, 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 it doesn't have to be a spa, but like any kind of healing zone. Yeah, the smell is what hits you mm-hmm. first, mm-hmm. you know. And um, and I change the music. I've been doing. Yeah. Uh, because because of my friendship with Alaria, I bathe my kids every morning now, which is like a new thing for me. I uh, you know it used to be an, a nighttime only thing. Now it's nighttime and morning, so they. <laughs> get reset we 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 just add water every morning and now i play them classical music in the mornings and i change the aromatherapy when they get home in the afternoons just to see what's going on and i will report back i think all those limited data sets those things are wonderful and and also touch like like the experience of hugging in a swaddle you know all that stuff it really helps kids with their mood because they aren't like us able to sort of necessarily put their feelings into words but even we sometimes need to go from our body inwards to figure out what we're feeling and how to calm down. So self-soothing, very important. Oh my gosh, we could talk to you forever. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you guys for having me. Thank you. And for all that you're doing. All right, so that was Dr. Sachs. And I have to say, I really loved, I really loved our conversation about the way that our experiences as children colors the way that we parent and the things that we're on particular high alert for and the things that we're kind of more comfortable letting slide. And uh, again, I I, th- I feel like a lot of what she does and what she practices comes back to not being afraid of your emotional response to things, not being afraid of the things that make you uncomfortable or the challenging bits that that al- those should allow us to color in the places where yeah maybe we need maybe we need a little extra help or a little a little extra work or we need to bless and release and I think that that is um, a really empowering way to go through what can be a very challenging time and that a, a challenging time that a lot of people go through silently right I mean I think it goes back to the first step to recovery is you know acknowledging that you have a problem and I think one of the, the things I loved about you know you and I both shared about something that happened in our past is that her response to it was, you know, because that's okay because that's something that you went through. And it, and then that means it doesn't necessarily have to be like that for always. But, okay, so you have an emotional reaction for me when my, when my kids eat something and I get worried that they're going to choke. 
Um, you know, it's it's something that it is the way it is. And if I pretend that it's not the case, it's just going to bubble over and I'm going to freak out about it. And so just to be, you know, and to be open with my kids about it, like, hey, yeah, you know what? Maybe not this age, but in the future, hey, yeah, this is something that mommy had when she was younger. And so I always worry. So if you could just like chew like 20 extra times, <laughs> I know it's kind of gross, but just, you know, go for it. <laughs> If you don't mind, few extra bites. Now it's time for our favorite thing. Yes! I already told you what your favorite thing is today, Daphne. <laughs> that's right, that's right. Back to Daphne's selection for, I mean, Philaria's selection for Daphne's favorite thing. Uh, well, your pregnancy brain is really <laughs> That's like my phone. Uh, Can I tell you what my favorite thing is? So my favorite thing today is a book. And it's Khalil Gibran's The Prophet. Yes. Did I just steal yours down? No. Oh, yes. No. That was, was going <laughs> to be mine. Like, no. Okay, and I'm just I glad have, you're talking about I it. I have to say, so I think about these poems probably almost every single day of my life because I am super namaste like that. And some of my favorite ones of dealing with some of the issues that we talked about today are the one on love. Um, so his first one is on love and I, I really, really like it because it helps has helped me deal with happy times, but also when it's not so happy and he's, you know, he talks about, you know, even as love crowns you, so shall he crucify you even as he is for your growth. So is he for your pruning? I'm not going to recite the whole thing to you, but I could though, by the way, um, because I think about it so much, but it's just a really, it, it brings me a lot of solace when things are that when things are tough, um, and you know, seeing both sides of of ha- their the other side of happy is sad. And in order to embrace happy, you have to also embrace sad. That you know, life is fluid, and there's and there's movement on on um, in between the two. The other next one in his book is on um, children, and I think it has allowed me to be less of a helicopter parent, especially for me, who as I talked about in this podcast, who started out as very fearful um, to to kind of let go and and realize that our children are are their own people and it is he says it's our job to be more like them rather than to make them like us because life goes forward it doesn't go backwards um and then you know there's there's great ones on giving um and and what the purpose is of giving and how to give um and i think that you know we talked a lot about being women and and being in this you know sometimes we can get competitive and jealous and when you can really give of yourself he talks about you give of yourself and you're and and that just is it feels so good that that in itself is its reward anyway i could go on and on there's a ton of different chapters i like that they're little snippets you can read them again and again i've read them years after because it's written in such like fancy language um sometimes you have to read it a few times to really get it i love that i was at a wedding this weekend and you know you um we had the best the groom was our best man at our wedding and obviously i've known him since we were like 18 basically and um his now wife who we love and adore it was really lovely to get to hear from her friends um one of the things that kept coming up and was kind of a recurring theme was that she was someone who truly got by giving and i think that was something that just stood out from what you said it's it's it is about it is about allowing abundance into your life even when you don't feel that abundance. And a lot of that comes by starting starting a new behavior, starting an action that puts great energy out into the universe to invite it back in. Um, and I also think it's about self-love. I think that love poem is absolutely about um, about the the dual nature of 
of of light and darkness. Like you don't know what light is if you've never seen darkness. Um, but I also think that's how you treat yourself too. It's it, you know you 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 will feel the difference when you treat yourself in a in a loving, abundant, um, uh, accepting way versus when you try to squash it into being a little special box that yes, you know makes sense 100%. to everyone else. Um, okay, well mine is a little <laughs> special box <laughs> that, that is a little different. This is um, something of my favorite things that Alari wanted to know about, um, which is an aromatherapy diffuser that I have in in pretty much like six rooms of of our, we have them in all the bedrooms. I have them, I have one downstairs in the kitchen because it really helps with any kind of cooking smells. I have one in the playroom, um, and I just love the idea that you can really change the feeling of a home just by lighting a candle even uh, and and the way that that can invite you in and make it very welcoming and warm. And I love the idea of a signature scent. I'm getting really into signature wardrobe, signature hair and makeup look, signature scent. I just think it's, A, it just like helps me prune and preen my life a little bit, but also... Um, it it helps set the tone for the day. And I've been playing around with lots of different scents throughout the day. So maybe starting the morning with like a more energizing scent, like a citrus-based scent. And then the afternoon is more calming and relaxing as we head into bedtime with the lavenders and the vanillas and the um, and the more floral essences. But in any case, the diffuser that I really like is by InnoGear. And it's the 500 milliliter aromatherapy essential oil diffuser cool mist humidifier. <laughs> um, we link all this stuff for you guys. Don't worry about it. But this is one is it easy to clean? Yeah, it's 24 bucks on on Amazon, and it's um it's easy to clean, and you can make it turn all different colors, which my kids love. You can make it have all these different like LED light colors. Um, it is easy to clean. I think anytime you have water sitting in something for a while, even though there's that humidifier action going. You know, every couple of days, I I'm a little bit lazy. I probably do it once a week. I'll do a um a, like a, a diluted vinegar bath just quickly to kill anything going on in there. But um, but we we use them pretty continuously, and because of that, there's never like water just sitting for long periods of time. Uh, and I love essential oils from. I actually this should be a separate. Maybe this will be a separate favorite thing. I'll talk to you guys about the essential oils that I use, but I will tell you that um especially through cold and flu season. Young Living made this blend that was – there was one Immu Power and there's one called Thieves. And yes. these are – like they now have these little travel packet sizes of them too, which I'm obsessed with because uh, I, this has to be a whole separate thing because it's such a like cool, interesting – like you can put lavender oil on burns, on like cooking burns you know and they help Daphne? heal. It's like she's going down. She's like, no, I'm not going to tell you. I'm okay, not going to tell you, stop. but I have to tell you because my friends, I have to tell you. <laughs> Um, anyway, you can have these little travel size things to go with you. So when your kids aren't feeling good, you can put them on the bottom of their feet diluted with some um, some carrier oil. So don't just put like the straight oil on the, on their bare skin. And you definitely want to patch test it first and make sure that you guys don't have any um, adverse reactions to it. But when my kids were sick, I was putting these oils into the diffuser and like, you know, eucalyptus and all these sort of healing uh, and detoxifying scents into the into their rooms. And um, and then I would even put some of the some of the sort of approved ones on their actual skin with the carrier oil and just I can't speak highly enough of how much I think it makes our home a sanctuary. As as people are looking for their essential oils, is there anything in particular that we should know? Like if we're Google, yeah, no, like you, what I will do because I know nothing about it is I will go onto Amazon and I will look up 
essential oils. And then I'll be like, oh, that sounds good. That sounds good. But is there anything that you should know in terms of purity, organic, any of these kinds of things? Totally. And I'm definitely not the world expert on this, but the research that I've done has led me back to two brands that I use most frequently, which is um, one is the Young Living's, the Young Living oils, I just mentioned, and one is doTERRA. And you just, you want to make sure that it's 100% pure. You want to make sure that it's um, that it's distilled. A lot of the times, the more like the lemon and the peppermint oil and things like that can be food grade quality, which is awesome. A lot obviously a lot are not edible. Um, but I just, you know, I think you want to make sure that you're, that you're not, you don't want additional carrier oil if you can avoid it in the actual bottle with your essential oil. You want to be able to add your essential oil to the carrier oil so that, um, you know, so that it's, it's concentrated and you're getting the maximum quality available. But there are people, by the way, who, I mean, their whole website's written it's about like, uh, you know, treatments and essential right. oils and how to find the best one. And I would definitely recommend you to find the the expert in that. But yeah, but those you, are the ones we've used. between you and me, you are the expert. There well, you this go. Is one of so. my, this is one of my namaste moments. This is See? one of my there little like uh, off the beaten path, but we really like it and we find it has been really effective for our family. Cool. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, rate, review, share with your friends, make our tribe bigger and bigger and bigger, and we will take over the world with our namaste. (laughs) What was it? Mamaste? The mamaste-ness? Help us spread the message. Help us spread the word, the good word, um, and the mom community. And meet us here next week for more Mom Brain. Um, And in the meantime, keep emailing us, guys. Mombrainpod at gmail.com. Oh, and YouTube. We're on YouTube. And we're on YouTube. Yes. Can you guys tell that we don't have a shtick at the end? We just make it up as we go. All right. Until next time. Bye-bye. Bye, guys. This is Mom Brain with Ilaria Baldwin and Daphne Oz. Mom Brain is a Gallery Media Group original production.